The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Ewell, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our latest update on tech stocks. I'm joined once again by my colleague, Eric Sabitz, Barron's Associate Editor who covers tech for us from Silicon Valley. Hey, Eric, and welcome. Hey, good to talk, Alex. We have a lot to talk about. There really is. I mean, outside of earnings season, this to me feels like the busiest week I can remember in a long time for tech. We had we got the long-awaited start of Google's antitrust trial in Washington. We had an Apple iPhone launch. And then just today, we're about to get the first trade of the newly public ARM Holdings. Uh, each of those topics, I feel like, could carry their own call, but we're going to do our best to get them all in today. And sure. while we're talking, my, my guess is ARM is probably going to open for trading, and we'll try to really be, be live with that as it happens. Um, so I, in addition to that, there's also this idea that sort of stocks, tech stocks have gone a, a bit flat after the huge run this year. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've seen the falling inflation, uh, exploding AI, and decent earnings. All of that's been priced in. So now we're, we're moving on um, in some ways. And we, have an IP, we, we do have some IPOs to talk about. We have product launches. We have regulation. Um, so I think you know, th- those are all the topics we'll probably be, be looking at from here. So, so why don't we start with ARM? Um, sure. Because uh, I, I, I was going to say the stock is still in its first hours as a public company. I guess it's quasi-public at this point, but it's not trading yet. So, uh, but it will be any minute. So give us a 30 second refresher before we talk about the IPO itself on, on what ARM is. Uh, sure. Why it's important. So, uh, so ARM is a uh, semiconductor design company. So um, unlike say a company like um, NVIDIA, uh, they don't uh, sell any parts. They don't sell chips. Unlike uh, a company like Intel, they also don't, they don't make chips. So they make designs, they license those designs to chip companies, which then use those designs to make components, and then they pay a royalty per uh, per chip uh, back to ARM uh, when they make those chips. Now, um, they, they are probably best known uh, for their role in the mobile phone business, where it, it's something like 99% or more of the current uh, mobile phone market uses chips that have an ARM-based design. So if you own an iPhone or a Samsung phone or any other kind of phone, it has an ARM-based processor uh, in the phone. And now the the other couple other things to keep keep in mind here. ARM was a public company once before. So they went private in 2016. They were acquired by SoftBank Group for $32 billion. SoftBank uh, was really focused at the time on not just uh, somewhat on AI. Uh, Masayoshi Son, to his credit, has been talking about AI for a long time, but also on the Internet of Things, which was a big, uh, something we talked a lot about in 2016. Um, And then, of course, they tried to sell the company to NVIDIA um, in uh, 20, uh, I think it it was announced late 2020. It was early 2022 that the deal fell apart. There was a lot of regulatory pressure. Uh, there were a lot of concerns in the industry about having a company like ARM 
that serves so many chip companies owned by one of them. Yeah, right. Uh, so that fell apart, and they yep. immediately started working on an IPO, and that got us. And, and, That's and, and today. here we are. All right, so let's talk about the valuation uh, implied by uh, the pricing of ARM last night at $51 a share. Tell us how that kind of compares to where ARM's value has been and, and you know where where NVIDIA was going to buy it at. Um, how is this thing looking more valuable today than it was, say, a year ago? Yeah, so NVIDIA had agreed to acquire ARM for $40 billion in uh, cash and stock. Now, one of the ironies is that had that deal gone through, it would have been a huge uh, windfall for SoftBank because the the NVIDIA shares that they uh, would have acquired have, you know, tripled or something like that um, over the last year. So, uh, so, but anyway, they, they agreed to pay 40. Um, the, the, the price is around $54 billion, uh, which is, you know, so they, they are making a return on their investment in ARM, but there had been talk that the company could be worth as much as 70 or $80 billion. And there are a couple of reasons uh, that that it's not going to be valued quite that high. I mean, one is their uh, revenue in their uh, last fiscal year, which is that they have a March fiscal year, so the March 2023 fiscal year, uh, was flat with the year prior uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that the handset market, the phone market, has been not so great. Right. Um, uh, the, the market's kind of saturated. There's been some pressure on consumer spending. Um, there's a few things that have gone into that. People, a lot of people bought phones during the pandemic and haven't since replaced them. And there's one other element, which the company pointed out to me when I was uh, speaking with them today about this, is that the year before, two years ago, um, they had a huge, uh, uh, like, outsized growth, in part from chip companies trying to close deals with ARM ahead of their perceived, and then, of course, eventually canceled, acquisition by NVIDIA. So they were trying to get deals done before the NVIDIA deal closed. Of course, that deal never happened. Right. So they say that their flat year uh, was as expected, but that was not a surprise. Yep. Um, so that, but that, that does kind of contribute a little to a somewhat lower valuation. Now, let's just be clear, 54 billion, you've written and, and, and we've, it's still not exactly a cheap um, no. price for, for, give us a sense of of how NVIDIA is uh, valued at that $54 billion market value. Right. ARM, of course, not NVIDIA. But I'm sorry, ARM. Uh, NVIDIA is expensive, too. Um, yeah. ARM, ARM will be valued at about 20 times trailing sales. Um, that is very high, right? So, like, the only companies that trade in that sort of territory tend to be, like, very high-growth, Software as a service companies, somebody like Snowflake or a company like that. NVIDIA, NVIDIA is a little bit tricky to value because they're growing so fast now. It depends on what numbers you use, but NVIDIA is kind of in that vicinity. Um, they One of the problems here is it's really hard to figure out who to compare them to because they have this model that has, you know, like super high gross margins because they have basically no cost of goods sold. It's just code. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, it's like highly profitable business, but again, like last year, their revenue was down about 10% because of this, uh, slowdown in the handset business, um, and, and other factors. It's a little hard to know who to use to compare them to. Um, some people suggest using, uh, the, uh, electronic design automation companies, um, uh, synopsis and cadence, uh, because they have kind of a licensing model, 
but nobody looks like Arm. And right. so, yeah, it's going to be a very Qualcomm, good evaluation. A Qualcomm in there too, right? Because they, they kind of license and get royalty revenues for their mobile chips. They do, but they also make them, right? right. So right. They, right. they have more of a blended model, um, yeah. so it's not quite as clean. But yes, they do do some licensing as well. Okay. So let me, um, I guess, you know, if you're an investment banker, if you're Goldman Sachs, that's been basically selling this IPO, Given what you were talking about with flat revenue, I'm pretty sure we can be pretty sure that AI has come up a lot. And, and in terms oh, yeah. of that market value, what's going on here is this hope that ARM becomes a major AI player. Is that is that correct? Yeah, but it's not like NVIDIA, right? So, uh, so, so a couple of key points here. So first of all, a little under half of ARM's revenue is tied to smartphones. Um, the next biggest chunk of their revenue comes from the Internet of Things, um, you know, very small chips embedded in everything, refrigerators, dishwashers, right, you know, right. shipping crates, whatever. Um, uh, and then, uh, and, and, but then the, the fastest growing part of their business is tied to um, cloud providers. Um, then after that, you have automotive, which is also a big uh, contributor. Now, I, I think when you think about ARM and AI, um, their view is that the opportunity is going to be in a next generation set of phones and laptops that will do AI related software. Now you're not going to run a large language model on your laptop, right? Like that's just silly. Uh, you, you're not going to put an NVIDIA each 100 chip that costs, I don't know how many thousands of dollars into a laptop. But if you're doing what, what in AI is called inference, which is basically the application that sits on top of the large language model, um, there's a lot of uh, expectation that you'll be able to run inference software on your laptop or even on your phone, and then that will require a new uh, kind of a new generation of processors. Now, ARM's view is that um, PC manufacturers are going to look at ARM-based designs as alternative to the traditional x86 designs, which come from Intel and AMD mostly. Um, now, we'll see. That hasn't quite happened yet. But their view is they see this as a big opportunity. It's not in the current uh, financial model, really. Like, you're not, you're not, you didn't, you didn't get a big AI uh, boost to, to uh, revenues in the most recent fiscal year. But they do see it as a big opportunity. And certainly, you know, they are at least in part trying to position this as a big opportunity for the company that will help drop growth. Eric, I will uh, just see now, because I have CNBC on in the background, that it has opened 5610. That's uh, uh, up um, 10%, about 10%. Yeah, right at 10%, right? Um, Not pretty well, pretty, pretty, invest, uh, I, the bankers are feeling decent about a 10% pop, although they probably like to see a 20% pop by the end of the day is my guess. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that one of the things that makes this deal so important, right, is is that um, is that there haven't been any IPOs. We haven't been doing one of these, uh, you know, mornings where you're waiting for the stock to open uh, in a really long time. It's kind of refreshing. Um, and and part of the question is that this that this deal tests is the investor appetite here. Now, there's some weird things about this one, right? Um, None of the proceeds go to ARM. All of the proceeds go to SoftBank, which owns the other 90%, right? So uh, so this is not about helping to fund the next generation of growth at ARM. They're not getting any proceeds from the deal. Um, another, and, and it's a very thin trader, right? So they're only selling 10% of the total number of shares outstanding. So that makes it a little unusual. 
Also, ARM uh, went out of its way to line up um, uh, technology companies, very familiar yeah, ones. Like that's Apple, that's Intel. Yeah, Apple, Intel, TSMC, there's a few others uh, that uh, all agreed to participate in the deal at the IPO price. Uh, we'll get the details, I presume, when they do the next uh, filing um, on the on the IPO. Yeah. But that was a sign both of, uh, on the one hand, it's a sign of how important ARM is in the ecosystem. And then in another sense, it's a vote of, it's, it's, it's expected to be viewed, or it kind of is viewed, I guess, as a vote of confidence, confidence yeah. from people who should know, right? I, I just want to point out, by the way, that, you know, we can say what we will about regulators, and we're going to talk a little bit more about regulation later. But the fact that you have all these tech companies wanting a piece in this company speaks to the fact that having NVIDIA owning it outright probably would not have been the best move. Might have been good for NVIDIA, not so great for everyone else. So I just throw that out there because it's interesting to think about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, we should let's go on because we've uh, we've got a we bunch more of stuff to talk about. Yeah, we definitely have another stuff to talk about. So that's sort of the, the the topic that investors have been most interested in this week, tech investors, right? Let's talk about what tech consumers have surely been most, most interested in, which is the uh, the annual Apple iPhone announcement. It came on Tuesday. We could go pretty deep here. Um, I think we were you and I agree a lot uh, regarding Apple. Uh, we did have a little bit of a debate yesterday in the future of the iPhone, but you know that's all in, in good fun. What caught your attention in the iPhone 15 launch on Tuesday? Well, you know, almost everything that was changed from a uh, design perspective was well telegraphed. So there were no surprises. As we know, one of the things that's gotten the most attention is they've changed the connector to be USB-C from the lightning connector, largely because the European... Uh, union forced them to do it right so like that was not a surprise and that's um, like a standardization uh idea yeah. that they want they they want the iphone to be compatible with every other charger out there from other companies as well so that's where we've landed right so every almost you know if you own almost any kind of electronic device there's including things like you know um airpods um yeah. there, there's a uh you'll be able to uh use the same power cords um you'll also be able to one thing that's new is you'll be able to charge your airpods um or your watch from your phone, which you can't do now, um, if you want to do that. So right. no, that, there's some there's some items like there's that a little bit. Maybe some near term pain for all of us that have collected lightning cables over the last five years, but long term, this is probably a good thing. Yeah, and there'll be adapters that Apple will, of course, sell for more than they're probably worth. Like yeah. to, um, yeah. uh, right, to, to if you want to keep using your own your old cords. So that's fine. I, I mean, so, but but overall, I think there were not too many surprises on the design. I think one thing that was a slight surprise is that they weren't more aggressive on pricing. So some people on the street thought that they were going to increase the price um, of, uh, of of all four classes of iPhones, right? And you, you get, it's, there's the base model, which is called iPhone 15, iPhone 15 Plus, which is like a big version of the base model, and then you get the Max and uh, or Pro and Pro Max, which are uh, faster processors. The Pro Max is the largest um, and more most powerful version. They all had basically the same pricing, except for the Pro Max, uh, which is a hundred dollars more at the base level. Except that the new base phone has twice as much memory as the iPhone 14 base phone. So basically, they didn't change prices. And so I, you could you can interpret that a couple of different ways. I mean, one is 
uh, that they they didn't want to impede um, unit sales, right? Because uh, there was a slight risk that uh, as prices go up in a difficult economic environment, consumers might decide to just hold on to their current funds longer, right? Now, um, so they didn't do it though. And then, uh, so this might be better for units, but less good for, you know, uh, revenue per unit. Well, um, and I, I just want to say one, one thing on that is that, you know, to me, it speaks a little bit to, you know, Wall Street wants its price hikes, its pure profit in a sense, right? Yep. Every every incremental dollar is going to go to the bottom line. Wall Street likes that, investors like that. I feel like it's a little short-sighted um, for Apple to be thinking that way. And they, that's probably why they're not, as they become just more and more of a services company, right? It matters less to Apple over time how many new iPhones they sell if as long as they're just maintaining their ecosystem and selling more and more services into that ecosystem, right? Yes, but uh, we're still at a stage where half of Apple's revenues for sure selling yeah. iPhones services, I think, is about 20% of revenues. Um, services growing faster than any other part of the company, right? Okay, but it so does it just be- but that's a good point, yeah. which is over time. Um, Apple uh, Apple wants to sell you more services. And I think they said they now have like a billion subscribers to their various services. Not a small number. No small number. And yeah. and by the way, the more services that you take from Apple that are tied to your phone, the more likely that when you, uh, you, know, you get to the point where you want a new phone that you'll buy another iPhone. Absolutely. Um, iPhone customers are much less likely than Android customers uh, to switch uh, from one to the other. Got it. Um, okay. And that may be part of the reason yeah. why. One of the things you and I talked about after the call, we were we were going back and forth covering the live and then debriefing afterwards, was that it did feel though like a little low energy, right? It'd be a, it's a very well done product announcement now. It's pre recorded, but it didn't have like didn't it feel it, it felt a little bit different from prior? Yeah, it was a little shorter. It was like under an hour and a half. And usually these things tend to take like two hours to unfold. Um, and then and it, even that felt a little padded. There was like a, um, a section in the beginning where they showed a video of, you know, people using the, um, the satellite service to be rescued with their iPhones. Where yeah. like, they didn't have a single iPhone during that. The first opening, I don't even think they had an iPhone to show. It was a very life-focused life uh, opening. Right, yeah. And then, of course, you know, they, they did announce one or two other things. They said, um, uh, they, so they, they announced some new uh, watches. Uh, watch nine and um, uh, you know there were some minor tweaks there they have this new functionality where you tap your thumb and forefinger together to do certain kinds of operations like answer a call or hang up on a call or like things like that which is i don't even know how that works really that's you know technological magic i saw that too and i think it's worth noting that we might already now be seeing some spillover from the yet to be launched uh, Vision Pro headset, right? Because the Vision Pro headset, the big one of the big announcements from that was that they're doing these hand controlled gestures. So you're wearing this thing on your head, and the way you're moving the cursor in your field of vision is by moving your hands, and there's sensors for all that. So it feels like that's similar to now what they're going to be doing with the watch. You know, you move your fingers, and it controls the watch. So I just think it's interesting to me that they're gonna, that they're kind of connecting the dots between those two devices. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, there was one other element of that, which is uh, in discussing the new cameras, particularly oh, right. the, right. the, um, uh, the Pro Max, 
there's an ability to do spatial photography, which basically is, you know, kind of 3D images you might see when you're wearing your uh, your Vision Pro. Uh, on the Vision Pro, it's also worth noting, uh, which they did just in passing, that it's still on schedule for an early 2024 launch. Early so, 20, early next year, whatever that is. Calendars, we'll be talking about that, I don't know. Of course, early... Early could be anything through May. I, I would we could argue. Yeah, it's a little hard to tell. They haven't been any more specific than that, but they did say that it's on track. Um, and so there's that. There were a couple of other minor things. They're going to stop making leather cases. Yeah, there, uh, yeah. There was a lot of talk about the environment. They always there was a lot of somewhat. It felt like that was that was amped up on this call. It did feel like it was amped up. Um, arms up to fifty nine, by the way, as we talk. Uh, yeah, fifteen percent. Um, okay, or seventeen. Um, so, so yeah, there was, uh, there was a lot of talk about being, uh, how you can buy a watch and be carbon neutral based on which band you buy and stuff like that. Um, I don't think that's really a, a big investor focus. To be honest. No, you wouldn't think so. I mean, how do you, the, probably the best way to be carbon neutral is to not wear, not to have to charge your Apple watch at all and not, not to wear one, but <laughs> yeah. we break out your sundial. Yeah, exactly. All right. So um, bottom line, Apple stock fell a little bit on the day uh, of the announcement. You know, nothing massive. It usually falls a little. Uh, there's usually a sell the news um, element to the to the launch. So I, I don't think anything really too significant for Apple stock this week. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it sputtered on launch day. I, that's often the case, like um, and in part because uh, for whatever reason, everything Apple announces gets leaked. Right. So there was almost no surprises. And again, this, you know, the one thing was on pricing, which the street didn't really love. I think though, one other thing that I, I guess maybe figures in here a little bit is there had been some expectation that the higher end versions of the phone might not ship until uh, a little later, maybe into October over like design issues or component problems or whatever. And none of that turned out to be true. Right. So um, pre-orders, by the way, start tomorrow uh, at 8 a.m. Eastern for anyone yeah. who's interested. So line, line up now. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were talking about this, how uh, there was a period not that long ago when people would like line up at Apple stores on the day that the phones become available. I'm not sure that's a thing anymore. Um, yeah. Um, that's so nostalgic. I, that was that was fun, but yeah, I think uh, I think that may have gone away for the most part because it's so easy. They make it so easy. To, in fact, if you go into the Apple app right now, you can get your you can almost pre pre order because you can get your order already, so that when it goes live Friday morning, you just hit the buy button. I, I'm not saying I know that because I'm planning to buy it at eight a.m. tomorrow morning, but you know, it's doing my <laughs> hey, business. one other thing on that that I think is worth uh, noting before we move on is. Uh, um, AT&T and Verizon are apparently offering some very attractive trade-in deals on the yes. new phones. So, yeah. you know, one thing about the carriers, right, is they uh, there's no there's no real growth in the market. The market's kind of saturated. There aren't too many people who don't have any cell phones. Um, so, uh, or any uh, you know any relationship with the carrier, their their best option to grow is to steal market share from each other. Um, it looks like you can get huge trade-in value as long as you're willing to be locked in. Uh, so you can actually get a better price, I think, through the carriers than from Apple directly. Yes, um, I, mean, I was playing but, with it, and um, it's interesting. For, at Verizon, which I have, you ba they're basically going to give you up to $800 of value for your trade-in phone. Um, I think AT&T and T-Mobile were more like 1000 in value for whatever that's worth. Um, cool. 
But you do get locked in for- Totally locked in. And so when people talk about these great bargains, I I do caution consumers. They're They're not just giving away, you know, they're not being nice. They are locking you in for three years and they're giving you back the money over that three-year period, essentially. Right. So, right. so but that 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 could be. I suspect that over in the coming weeks, as we start to get some data or you know um, estimates from the analysts on how the phones are doing, uh, that there'll be some credit given. If, if if the numbers are good, you'll get some credit to the carriers for being very aggressive about. Yeah, the it's interesting to see how that could. When I guess we'll find out on. on earnings calls, right? But how the, the, the subscribers shift in any way between those three carriers. Right. So um, it's obviously been T-Mobile that's had more of the momentum of late. Um, and so if they maintain that, uh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So, all right, let's move on to uh, the other big event this week, um, which in some ways is under the radar, um, but maybe, you know, even more important than the other two, which is the Google antitrust trial uh, opened on, it was uh, Tuesday, right? Am I getting my hey, Tuesday, statements? It's kind of the, uh, you were able to dial in to listen to the opening statements. Um, but other than that, this thing goes dark unless you're actually in <laughs> yeah. the Yeah, so it's it's one of uh, uh, one of the irritations of covering this trial. Uh, now, so, so first, so let's back up. The Justice Department filed this lawsuit three years ago uh, asserting that Google has engaged in anti-competitive behavior in order to maintain what is effectively a monopoly in internet search. Um, that after lots of back and forth over the last three years, the trial finally started in Washington, D.C. Um, for a district judge there um, on Tuesday. And as you say, they did allow you to dial into a uh, uh, a landline to listen to the opening statements. Uh, I, I told you that I thought that was sounded like 1994. I mean, I yeah, just, it was very 1994. Um, and then uh, apparently, under some sort of provision of um, um, the uh, uh, federal uh, regulations around uh, the way district courts are handled, um, uh, they didn't allow you to listen to any witness testimony. And so we'll, you had to be in the room. And we'll uh, have the next three months, basically, as this Yeah, so it's going to take till mid-November uh, before this whole winds up. So it's going to be a while. I'm sure that, you know, some of our peers at, you know, the Journal and other places uh, will be there every day and we'll be reading a lot about this. Um, I believe Hal Varian, who's the chief economist at Google, was the first witness and actually testified on, um, on uh, either day one or day two. Um, and it's, but it's going to go on basically every day with a few exceptions for 10 weeks. And we should we should care about this or we shouldn't? What's your- Yeah, so I think we need to care about this. I think um, the implication here is that, um, I think the heart of the matter is the government says that Google's practice of paying um, other technology companies, in particular Apple, uh, for the right to be their default search engine on their devices, um, is an unfair practice that results in restraint of trade. And so the, what they're basically saying, they're not even, it's interesting because they're saying basically the time period covered by the, the case starts with 2010. By then, Google already was dominating the search market. And they're saying that they did all these things to maintain their position. Um, and in particular, is focused on this default search engine uh, thing. And 
Um, it is now, you know, we don't know exactly what the numbers are because they're not disclosed by Google or Apple. But the assumption is that Google pays Apple some enormous amount of money, $10 million, $20 billion. I don't really know what the exact crazy, crazy numbers, yeah. crazy amount of money in order to be the default search engine on the iPhone and in Safari, et cetera. Yeah. Um, now, and they, by the way, they have similar relationships for Android phone uh, manufacturers. And it's a little bit different situation because Android, of course, is a, um, is Google software as well. Um, and so the, 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 the question is, well, what happens if the government wins? Well, one thing that might happen is that uh, they would be barred from making those kinds of payments. Now, it costs a lot of money for Google. And there is an open question, uh, which some analysts have raised, that um, you could actually see them see higher earnings per share. Um, if they stop making those payments and, you know, uh, uh, um, right. So for well, the acquisition costs is the right. way to do it. Just right. to back up from that. So basically they could maybe stop paying Apple $10 billion to be the default um, search uh, provider on iPhones. And what would end up happening is because everyone likes using Google anyway, it wouldn't really matter, right? That's, yeah, that's actually a possible outcome. Right. Now, there's a couple of other elements though. Right. Uh, one is uh, uh, lurking in the background, and in fact, this came up in the opening statements, particularly from uh, Google's lawyer, uh, is the idea that this is really about Microsoft. That like Microsoft, which has the only real, you know, competitor here in Bing, um, to uh, is trying to figure out a way to gain, gain some more traction in search. And as Microsoft has said, like even a couple of points of market share shift, you're talking about billions of dollars in ad revenue. So like they have a vested interest in this. Now, how ironic is that? I was just going to say, just at home, what could happen here then is the, the biggest uh, antitrust trial uh, of the decade could end up helping the target of the last biggest antitrust. <laughs> yes, that actually seems to be a potential outcome. Now, there's another potential outcome, which I think is very intriguing, which is Apple could decide, well, uh, and there have been rumors about this in the past, but Apple could decide to make its own search engine and stop relying on a search engine from someone else. Now, um, arguably, Apple, which isn't really growing right now, um, right? They don't have any revenue growth or have not had any in the last couple of quarters, um, could use a big win. And maybe we should stop thinking about, you know, virtual reality headsets and, you know, and Apple cars. And maybe the real opportunity for them is, a, is an Apple search engine. Um, yeah. um, imagine that, that, that the default search engine on your iPhone was an Apple search engine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, would you use it? I think you probably would. <clears throat> now, we don't know that's going to happen. And Apple, of course, never says anything about anything before they're ready to launch. But it's an interesting potential. So this is going to take a long time to play out. Not only is the case going to take until November, but then it'll take who knows how long for the judge to issue a ruling. This is, by the way, a bench trial. So there's no jury here. It's just the judge is making the decision. And then whatever happens, there's a reasonable chance it gets... Um, it gets um, appealed. And by the way, in the background, the lawyer fees, the lawyer fees are adding up. Oh my God. There's so many. Um, even, and by the way, so even the state's attorney, uh, state attorneys uh, general, there's a bunch of uh, state AGs that are also party to this case on the government side. They have outside counsel. It's none of the AGs that are doing the case. <laughs> yeah. It's an outside firm that is doing that, which is interesting. And then meanwhile, there's another 
Google case lurking in the background that's probably a couple years away still from getting to trial, which is more focused on the advertising side. So this is going to go on for a while, but I think that at the core, um, there is this possibility that Google will be forced to fundamentally change the way they do business. And if that happens, um, uh, it, it changes the future for them and for Microsoft, maybe for Apple, definitely for consumers. It's a big deal. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's uh, it's hard to judge that just from listening to the opening statements. And again, it's going to drone on for a while, but um, uh, we really much need to keep an eye on it. Yeah, and we absolutely, I know we're going to be talking about this. Um, of course, and I'll just point out, regulation has rarely mattered in the last decade or so, maybe longer, to investors. And we were just talking before the call that sure enough, uh, Alphabet, Google's parent, hit a 52-week high um, today <laughs> for whatever it's worth. Yeah. Now, there is, by the way, we should talk for a moment, Alex, about the other government activity that was going on in Washington this week of note to technology investors, uh, which, of course, yeah, was... The, the, uh, that's the AI forum. Give us some yes yeah. there. Yeah. So Senator Chuck Schumer um, and a few other senators from both sides of the aisle convened an AI forum um, and attracted quite a glittering cast of characters. Um, Elon Musk was there, Bill Gates was there, Eric Schmidt was there, uh, Jensen Huang, Alex Karp from Palantir, Elon, um, like just like a, a Satya Nadella from Microsoft, um, Sundar Pinkai uh, from Alphabet. Lots of major players were on hand for this. Uh, you know who wasn't on hand? Us because the media was not allowed in the room. Um, now, that seems a little self-defeating. Now, the, the point of this, this meeting, by the way, was to begin to discuss what role the government should have in regulating AI. And, and Schumer like, said he wanted a candid discussion. I guess perhaps not having the media in the room allowed it to be more candid. It just, I uh, guess so. Although there's been some, you know, there's a lot of, there were a lot of people in the room who were a little bit leaky about what went on. Yeah. Um, you know, it ranged from, you know, uh, Elon saying there was like a non-zero chance, like small but non-zero chance that AI destroys humanity. That would be a bad outcome close <sighs> to that. Uh, or, and then, you know, Bill Gates apparently took the position that like AI could be a fantastic tool to help solve world hunger. OK, so, so we have you know, humanity destroy humanity on the two on the two. Right. Ways. One or the other. Right. So now what what what, of course, we don't really have any feel for. And I think problematically, Washington have a real feel for is what exactly we're supposed to regulate. Now, there's a uh, there a bunch of companies have signed on to a, um, a, a statement from the White House on, you know, making AI safe and that kind of stuff. Like nobody is opposed to that. But there are some real difficult questions around, like, do we supposed to like regulate large language models like they were, you know, cancer drugs? Like, I don't really know. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be a long time for that to play out. Uh, but, you know. It does feel one of these situations that like, it's easy to declare that, um, and, and, you know, that cars, for instance, should be safe. The debate with the automakers and the government start to come when they actually get into the details. And I don't mm -hmm. see any reason why the same thing's not going to happen here. Right. Right. I think it's noteworthy, which you pointed out, that like Elon and and uh, and Zook did uh, not break out into a wrestling match. <laughs> in the event. Uh, that would have been that would have been 
a good way to draw some more eyeballs to the that would have drawn a lot of attention they could have done it virtually i'm glad to hear they were on their best behavior um all right so we just have a couple more minutes left why don't we we uh, the one thing we haven't talked about on this uh call is earnings we are out of earnings season for the most part but we have had um we did get one notable uh report from oracle earlier this week we will uh get we will hear from adobe actually at the end of uh the day today why don't you right. tell us uh Give us a minute on Oracle and then maybe just a few seconds on, on Adobe and what to expect. Sure. So Oracle's been kind of a hot stock this year. You know, it's interesting because, you know, Oracle's viewed as this like sleepy, you know, legacy uh, enterprise software company. But as uh, I wrote in a story a couple of years ago, they've been trying to remake themselves for the cloud. They've been doing that by both shifting their versions of their software to the cloud and by starting a cloud computing business that competes with AWS and Azure and Google. Uh, called Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, OCI. OCI is growing really fast. It's growing like 60, 70%. Um, and it's getting a boost from the fact they have a really good relationship with NVIDIA. They've bought a lot of, you know, GPUs and they're running a lot of AI workloads. Now, like the, the problem they've had is, uh, so the, the results for the quarter were just a little bit below expectations, below their guidance. Um, and the and then the outlook for the next quarter, like the November quarter for them, um, was a little bit soft too. They blamed it in part on nothing to do with the cloud and AI and everything to do with their uh, this company they bought called Cerner, which is a, a electronic health records company. They're trying to convert Cerner from being like on-premise software, old style software, yeah. to cloud-based software. And as, as you know, I've discussed before, when you make that kind of transition, it kind of messes up your revenue model a little bit for a while because, uh, you know, instead of getting big upfront payments, you're recognizing revenue slowly over time. Right, right. Uh, it tends to impact revenue. And while this is not their core business, it is part of the story and it's apparently causing some uh, some uh, trouble. And the result was that Oracle had, uh, Oracle shares were down like 13% on on. Um, Tuesday, like the worst that they've had in like at least a decade, maybe longer. Um, they, the stock has rebounded some over the last couple of days. And I'm still pretty optimistic that, uh, you know, I've been bullish on Oracle and I, I'm, I remain optimistic that this cloud transition for them is um, uh, is the real deal. And, you know, they're, they are winning lots of business and they are aggressively growing out there. Okay. So if you liked Oracle a week ago, you should um, like it more. You should like a little more today. Opportunity. Right. Opportunity. All right. So let's um let's just close out with uh, Adobe, which has sure. increasingly been on, I don't even know if periphery may be too weak a word, but on the on the it's both in the cloud story and in the AI story. Um so Yeah. So the thing that's interesting about Adobe, Adobe of course dominates the market for creative software, you know, Photoshop and InDesign stuff like that, Illustrator, uh, uh, tools for making things, right? Making uh, digital objects. Yep. Um, they've been very aggressive about uh, driving AI versions of their software. So they created this thing called Firefly, which I'd urge people to try try out. It's at Firefly. I think it's a, if you just search for Adobe and Firefly, you'll find it on the web. Um, uh, for things like um, text to image, you know, you type in, show me a picture of a polar bear on a bicycle and it draws you one. It's pretty um, cool. I tried it's it. pretty darn cool. Um, and there's a few other things, some tools with Photoshop, that kind of thing. They've also announced, uh, they, they made some announcements this week 
um, of uh, some updates, including they're going, uh, they're, they're taking their Firefly applications um, uh, live uh, for commercial customers. Uh, they're also, among other things, indemnifying their commercial customers against uh, their their AI software, like making things that are not pat uh, not uh, copyright violating IP. Yeah. Um, uh, and and so the question that they will face tonight is: um, Is there any signs that the AI uh, activity is is driving revenue yet? That was actually one problem with Oracle. And in fact, if you go back a few weeks, it was a problem with the last Microsoft earnings, which is that there's so much excitement. Everyone is so excited to invest in the trend. And, and, and by the way, Adobe has had a good run this year as well. Um, and they are very excited about all the announcements. And they want to see the results. They yeah. want it in the numbers. And it's just going to take a little while. And other, right. And other than NVIDIA thus far, almost no one has seen it in the numbers. Yeah, very little. Just at the margin, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, companies like Microsoft, I think, said that uh, Azure revenue uh, would get like a couple of percentage point boost. And that's, and that's not even the whole company, right? So it's, it's kind of a margin, uh, kind of a rounding error for most people now. Uh, but they're going to get a lot of questions about that on the call. And, um, you know, it's Adobe, which was, I won't say it's a sleepy company, but it wasn't a company that a lot of investors spent a lot of time thinking about, has really jumped into the spotlight this year with all their work on AI. And so it's going to be an interesting one. All right, so we will uh, we will tune in, and I'm sure you will be uh, you'll be reporting on it on the site. Be all over it. Check it out there. All right, this was uh, this was great, Eric. Um, thank you so much. It's uh, all the time we have, and thank everyone um, for being here to listen. Please join us again tomorrow when Anna Arsov, who's the co-head of global banking for Moody's Investor Service, is going to be talking with Penta's Abby Schultz about the rise of private debt financing and the risks of investing in the sector. So thanks again for listening. Stay well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.